Today's episode of the Slash Filmcast is brought to you by HelloFresh. Please visit HelloFresh.com and use the promo code FILMCAST30 to save $30 off your first week of deliveries when you subscribe. That's HelloFresh.com and use promo code FILMCAST30 to save $30 off your first week of deliveries. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Devendra Hardwar. And Jeff Kanata. And welcome to the show, everyone. Uh, today on the Slash Filmcast, we are going to be discussing what we've been watching, going to move on into just one brief film news item, and then we're going to conclude with an in-depth review. This week, we're going to be reviewing Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Now, of course, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is not out in the United States yet, as you will hear this. Uh, and there will be spoilers in our review. We will demarcate them clearly as usual. Uh, but Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 has already been out internationally for quite a while, I believe. And so uh, our international listeners get a nice bonus. And this review will be out in time, of course, for our U.S. listeners as well. Find more episodes of our podcast at SlashFilmCast.com. Email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. So, gentlemen, let's dive right into it. Uh, our discussion of what we've been watching this week. Devinder Hordor, you've been watching a few things, right? Yeah, there's too much good TV, guys. Just that way is too true. Much. Like, yeah, I'm I'm buried under good TV. Definitely first world problems, but uh, it's it's a problem if you're trying to like stay on top of this all all this stuff. Uh, but yeah, I've seen a bunch. Uh, the Handmaid's Tale, which is Hulu's adaptation of uh, the Margaret Atwood novel, it's incredible. It's also one of the toughest things to watch. Like. It is excruciating. It's mainly because it is so good. Um, and yeah, this uh, if you guys aren't familiar with the novel, this uh, tells a story about like a uh, almost like a post-apocalyptic world or at least a post-politically apocalyptic world where um, a religious uh, a religious order kind of takes over the government and strips away women's rights. And uh, it's it's insane. It's, so it's, it's pretty much insane. It's, it's a bizarro, crazy notion that could never possibly happen in the real could world. Could never happen. What's scary about this show is that uh, – which stars Elizabeth Moss as a handmaiden and uh, they are women who exist only to have babies with upper class men because the upper class wives are typically uh, – can't have kids uh, because of a virus that's in the world. So you could think of it like a prequel to Children of Men. Mm. Um, so it's like purely about these women who are basically you know servants to get pregnant. Um, it is excruciating because it's, it's now. It's all the elements we're seeing in this. Like the – just like the misogyny that's rampant throughout the world here – and that we see lead up, uh, the show kind of goes back and forth between uh, after uh, this religious order takes over the U.S. government and before. And what's really scary before is that everything is normal, guys. Like everything, people have iPods. And they're talking about TV shows, and it's just fine. And little by little, you see their world crumble, and you see their freedom taken away. It is. It's really rough. So, hey, watch the show, guys. Uh, just be ready for it. Um, I think Hulu is releasing three episodes at a time because that's all our souls can take. <laughs> they're releasing three episodes uh, at once, and then I believe yeah. they're doing a weekly model after that. I think that's a great idea. Yeah, um, yeah. Showtime keeps you talking about. Yeah, it. Yeah, Showtime's doing the same thing with uh, Twin Peaks, 
And I think it lets you do a little binging up front. Uh, and then also, yeah, it keeps you talking about it, keeps you – like builds a community around a show instead of mm-hmm. you know just dropping all the episodes at once. So that's The Handmaid's Tale. It's on Hulu right now. I'm looking. This is a show I'm uh, considering restarting my Hulu subscription. It's just worth to watch. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's worth it. Uh, what else have you been watching, Devinder Hardware? Also, American Gods, um, Brian Fuller and Michael Green's adaptation of the Neil Gaiman novel. Uh, it's on Stars. People have Stars, right? Because um, the only way you can see the show is to have Stars. I think so the that's... easiest way to get Stars, by the way, is probably uh-huh. through Amazon. Yes, through the Amazon Prime like add-on. Yeah, if you yeah. You, you pay like ten dollars a month or whatever, mm-hmm. you get all stars. Direct TV now yeah. also has it. They also have an app on Apple TV, so that's a, it's a hard to recommend the show because not everybody has stars. Um, and uh, you know why it's also people... hard to recommend the show, Devinder, mm-hmm. because it's not a very good show. Uh, well, you're wrong, <laughs> sir. You're actually dead <laughs> wrong. Um, I think it's a great show, uh, mostly because I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of Brian Fuller. I think he is. Among TV showrunners today, he's probably my favorite. Between like Pushing Daisies, Hannibal, like I go back to this guy from like freaking Wonderfalls, which was amazing back on Fox. So I love his style of writing. And when he teamed up with David Slade for Hannibal, the combination was just electric. Like Hannibal was like nothing we'd ever seen on television. And I think that combination, like uh, him and David Slade also coming back together for this, uh, it's just as dark and gothic and fantastical, uh, but also beautiful in its darkness, too. Um, I read the book like 10 years ago, so I don't remember quite enough about it, but I think it gets the characters right. I love the casting, uh, except for Ricky Whittle, the guy who stars in it as Shadow Moon. Great name. Um, He's probably the weakest member of this cast, but... You've got Ian McShane just like chewing on scenery here. You've got great people all around. And I just love the visuals. I love the way they're telling the story. Um, Like visually, it reminds me a lot of Legion, right? And how it like would just go out there. And it's really like fantastical imagery to really tell this story with visuals. And I think for me, at least, it it has hooked me. I'm a fan of the writing. I, I like where how it's telling the story. I actually care about what's happening. So that's also a big difference between this and Legion. Um, I think this is kind of how you do that uh, really stylish visual storytelling, right? So I loved it. Um, I hear you guys aren't as big fans. I would love to know what isn't clicking for you. Jeff Kanata, take it away. Yeah, I mean, we're only one episode in, right? So I reserve the right to shift my opinion because a mm-hmm. lot of times the first episode of something is not indicative of, of its entire scope. Yeah, although but this I'm, one makes a statement. Like, we are here, does. we are weird, and fucking deal with it, guys. Uh, yeah, I don't. I didn't deal with it very well, I guess. Um, <laughs> I'm I, not often on Team Chen, but I'm on Team Chen on this one. I, You know, I, I did not – I was very excited about it and – despite the fact that I couldn't get through the book uh, years ago and I tried to read it. Um, but I really was hoping that the TV show was going to make the book more accessible. And I'm, I'm sort of a, a lapsed game and fan, right? I, I mean, I loved Sandman, but I really mm-hmm. haven't really loved any of the stuff he's done later than that. But I wanted to, to re fall in love with his imagination and I wanted this TV show to do it. So I, I came at it really hoping it would be great. I totally agree with you that the lead, uh, is is very flat and uh he is he is our proxy right he is our he's our touchstone and it, it, it there's a lot of responsibility that rests on his shoulders and i did not think at least in this first episode he was up to that task and and that's too bad and i think across the board really the casting was odd i agree with you ian mcshane's fantastic uh, but he for me was really the only one that was um and uh, it 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 
<laughs> it's enigmatic to the point of being obtuse, I think, which is okay. You know, maybe in later episodes it'll all sort of fall into place. But I didn't, I didn't buy very many of the moments. I thought the first mm. ten minutes, when we're like back in you know sort of Viking times, it starts with this cool setup of, of, of Vikings. I was like, oh my god, this, this show is going to be amazing. I love this. And then we get to modern times, and it just completely fell apart. Nothing, nothing felt. Uh, even remotely believable, or and I know we're in a stylized. It's, it's not world. even believable. It's not believable. Yeah. It's it's because uh, believable is not the not the the term I'm, yes. I'm looking for when I think of the show. This is a right. show about it's God obviously fantasy, exists. but yeah. I think none of it felt authentic. Is what yeah. I, is what I said. Like none of none of the better, none of yes. the uh, characters felt authentic to me. Meaning uh, yes. Shadow Moon specifically, I don't believe that a character in that situation would behave in that way, right? Uh, I think he is not only the least interesting character, but he's also the least believable character in terms of how he reacts to all the crazy stuff going on around him. And, uh, I, yeah, I, I think no show, I think, has used up my goodwill faster than this one. It just... Yeah, really? The, not the, even the, Legion. The huh. opening Viking stuff was really uh, out there, but I, I was totally on board with it. And then... Um, what what ends up happening is you have all these characters, all these gods who are introduced that deliver these speeches uh, that are incredibly vague. They speak in riddles, and it's all going to pay off nine episodes from now, I'm sure. Um, but what's happening in the now uh, is not super compelling. Uh, mm-hmm. Sorry, Jeff, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Did you have no? I think you, I think you you restated what I was trying to get at much much better than I was. Um, I think you're right. Authenticity, or just sort of being along for the ride. You need to, I need to sort of understand that even in the midst of all this craziness and, and, and insanity and stylized over the top stuff that the central guy who I think is supposed to be a very relatable guy behaves in a way that makes any sense whatsoever. Yeah. And, and he doesn't. Uh, yeah, doesn't agree, agreed completely. Um, I actually have an episode diving into this and comparing it to the book over on uh, genpopshow.com, one of my other podcasts. But I, I agree with Jeff on this one. It's just uh, kind of a mess. And uh, it, it is, it, you know, you know uh, I, I think of the comparison to Game of Thrones. It's very interesting. Um, Game of Thrones is set in another world. It's mm-hmm. not set on Earth. It's set in Westeros. Uh, and there are magical elements, but every all the drama feels very grounded in reality. Like, yeah, but Game of Thrones isn't the comparison because no, no, the whole no, no, point of it is that it is – yeah. Hold grounded. on. Let me just finish. It's just, yeah. it, and this is kind of the opposite, right? It's, it takes place in our world, right? But everything – but none of the drama feels grounded in reality. Um, it feels like – uh, there's this other spiritual plane that Shadow Moon visits, or you know, he he has this kind of dream of this tree, which I believe represents uh, the world, right, in Norse mythology. And mm-hmm. um, I, I think really my biggest beef with this show is just that, like you said, Jeff, it's very obtuse, and as a result, requires you to do a lot of homework to understand what is actually happening. I mean, I watched a few video essays about who these gods were and oh man it made a huge difference in my understanding and enjoyment of the show that's but, just yeah but i don't think you should have to do that you know i don't think i don't, i didn't feel compelled to do that but i i understand you dave and you're the guy like who wants to deconstruct westworld and like figure out the the nooks and crannies of it i the journey of it right like i i'm asking these guys take tell me a story 
show me things like I I haven't done have seen before. And I think it, it at least succeeds for, for that. You know, like I don't know. It's definitely a good. It's definitely a good ride. You know, like yeah, it's, I it's, don't it, know who these gods are specifically, but the thing is, what we see from the show, like there's a scene with uh, Bilquis, who you learn is sort of a love goddess. Uh, that is, what the fuck was that? Like I I have good never question. seen anything like that. Good, good but question. also. That like to me that that's how you fucking introduce a character, right? This is one episode, and I do think like yeah, I I want to. What is her story, right? What do you do with that power? Um, and I do like the the <laughs> I idea. Do one thing with it, yeah. But the idea too that these gods uh, basically exist on our plane as sort of like grifters and hustlers, I do kind of find interesting too. Because of religion is the idea that, you know, you you are getting people to believe in your your stick, believe in your line. And I kind of love where that's going. So, yeah, it's it's a single episode. I, I don't know how much we can judge based on that. But all I can say is I I definitely love what we're seeing. And just based on the cast that we have coming up, uh, Crispin Glover, Gillian Anderson, Orlando Jones, Kristen Chenoweth, like – I, let me just say, in Brian Fuller, I trust. Like, this guy has never let me down when it comes to TV, so I'll give him the benefit of the doubt for a bit. Yeah, uh, he, uh, yeah. Uh, Devendra, mm-hmm. I, I totally support your fandom of the show. I, I do not begrudge it at all. Uh, I found it to be excruciating to get through. Like, I, I've watched the first two episodes at this point, and the second episode does not get better. It just it, it feels exactly the same as the first in terms of how oblique it is and talking and like revealing the plot to you. Uh, and I think you just you know some shows try to strike a balance between how much they explain and mm-hmm. how much they leave vague and how much they let you figure out. And I think the show just did not strike the right balance. Yeah. Hannah Hannibal did that a lot too, yeah. and it certainly yeah. got a lot of criticism for it. But I guess I'm used to that too. It's nobody is telling stories in this oblique way too. Like, and that's that can be a good thing. That could be a bad thing. You go back to like Twin Peaks and like what the hell was going on for like so much of that first season, right? But it was the mystery of it that, like, led us along that journey of that show that made it compelling. But, yeah, yeah, I, I hear what you guys are saying, though, for sure. Yeah, uh, I, I will say this in the show's favor. Beautiful show. You know, David Slade uh, directed the first few episodes. He's a frequent Brian Fuller collaborator. He did a lot of Hannibal episodes. Vincenzo Natale, friend of the show. Coming up, uh, yeah. Directed some episodes. Uh, beautiful show. Looks amazing. Uh, and if you looks like... Looks unlike anything. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't... Do, it looks like, unlike any... It just... Other than Hannibal, maybe, yeah. The visuals that, is the strongest and, in my case, only thing I can recommend about this show. That um, first Viking sequence oh, is so, good. so insanely good. Yeah, it's And that's really when I was good. like, man, this show is going to be something special. Um, but like how, how they how they convey like they're trying to appease these gods and, mm-hmm. and, and you know poking their own eyeballs out and that fight scene with the the dis, uh, dismembered arm that's flipping through the air and then st- it's it's so insane and I just uh, you know I would rather a show about those guys let's do that yeah 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 <laughs> uh, well that's American Gods it's on Stars right now Devendra is a fan. I'm decidedly not, and nor is Jeff. So, Jeff, I mean, is this is this going to be something you're going to keep watching? You know, and like I don't. Well, I, I hearing what you said about episode two makes me really. I had planned to stick with it just because so many of the cool kids online are are so into yeah, this. The critical thing, I consensus like, is pretty pretty positive, so that's why I was surprised by you guys here. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I get it, and I I like being one of the cool kids, and I felt as I tweeted, I felt so unhip by not liking it. I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I'm. I'm I'm Square Jeff, who, who can't 
enjoy this. Go, this but show, go back but to your comics, I, Jeff. I had an agreement with uh, my my co-host, you know, podcast co-host Joanna Robinson on Gen Pop that I, I, we, I would watch the first two episodes. She's seen the first four. I would not have gotten to the end of the second episode if I did not make that commitment. I, I would have jumped off in the. I just would. I found it so frustrating to watch the show. Um, I, I think I can understand why. I, I definitely get it because specifically you mentioned going out and researching and trying to seek out the answers and I'm like yeah, yeah. I, I, well yeah. I think if you are a uh, yep. mythology geek uh, and certainly if you are a fan of the book I think you will get a lot more out of this show I think um, looking at like what each of these gods have origins in our society you know, some of these gods yeah. have origins dating back hundreds of years and it's just like wow to see a god that's been written about by different continents and countries embodied in you know Orlando Jones on a slave ship or, or something like that is just uh, a crazy experience uh, or Ian McShane you know like seeing seeing them embodied by these these actors uh, in a contemporary environment is thrilling uh, of course, you need to actually know that that's actually what's happening to enjoy that, at least in my case. So, Yeah, there's uh, literally no clue to that other than the title of the show. Right, right. You need to rely on the marketing, honestly, to to understand what's going on. Uh, which, you, I mean, they hinted it, guys, and then stuff is happening in front of you that is clearly <laughs> like, hey. Well, it's supernatural, but there's – Hey, nothing, maybe, it, maybe something's up. Well, no, no, people. it's absolutely supernatural and, and crazy. But if the show was not called American Gods, there's right. nothing in it yeah. in that first right, episode right. that clues you into why the supernatural stuff is happening. Yeah, and well, the show is called American Gods, but I think it leaves a lot for you to piece together, which, by the way, my understanding is that's pretty true to the book as well. Yeah, uh, it's it, it just – yeah, I, I don't think they struck the right balance of revealing things or, or even like opening title crawl. That that <laughs> explains what the fuck is going on. You in the just show, like so. fundamentally just don't don't gel with whatever is happening in the no, show. Not, not only just explaining things, but just having characters behave in ways that feel organic. Right, you know? right like that's right. that's another beef. That's I fine. It's it's a little it's a little campy in certain ways, but I'm also I guess used to that from some of the game and stuff. Yeah. So there there is that. Um, other thing I've seen is Dear White People on Netflix, and I don't know if you guys have seen this yet, but it is amazing. It is. So good. It is like the first thing I've watched in a long time that I kind of just want to sit down and watch all 10 episodes one after another. Um, so this is a TV adaptation of the uh, Justin Simeon movie. Um, and he, yeah, he's behind this as well. Um, he wrote uh, the first three episodes, which are pretty much a kind of a recap of the movie, but it covers similar plot points, but we get different perspectives. Um I really liked the movie, but it definitely could have gone deeper. Um, I think there's more for that to say. Um, this show does that. It goes deep into all the issues, all the like racial issues and topics that, that the film brought up. It really goes in deep. Um, and also, it gives us a lot of time with all of these characters, too. So most of the characters you saw portrayed in the movie are here, too. Uh, it's kind of the same basic story, but it's just told so well. And... Uh, have to say barry jenkins directed an episode of this uh, series episode five and it is one of the best things i've seen on tv and it, like even in terms of film right it feels like a short film actually one of the best things i've ever seen when it comes to race relations so it's incredible once you start uh you probably won't stop but i highly recommend it the pringles of tv yes shows. <laughs> uh yeah that's dear white people uh, and it is available on Netflix. You know, speaking of Pringles, Jeff Kanata. Mm, yes. Uh, I mean, eating food can be a challenging thing, right? It's just Ugh, 
No kidding. It's just you got to figure out what to cook. Every you have to day. Buy the ingredients. Three times a day. It's How do you nuts. do it? it uh, yeah. I mean, it, it is so onerous that I don't understand how most people physically survive. Uh, and right. if you're a busy professional, especially if you have a family such as yourself, Jeffrey. Busy amateur. Yeah. If you're a busy amateur, if you're a busy uh, parent such as yourself, right? Uh, yeah. uh, it can be really tough to figure out what to eat and to get the ingredients on time so, and make a nice meal. To right? ever leave the house? Is that, yeah. what, you, is that what you're saying? Yeah. That's right. It's difficult. That's right. I can count on one hand the, time, the amount of times I've left the house in the last two weeks. Uh, well, that sounds pretty rough, Jeff. Not an easy life, Dave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, fortunately, uh, we have a great sponsor for you this week that's going to help solve your problems. It's HelloFresh at HelloFresh.com. And if you use uh, the promo code FILMCAST30, you get th- uh, $30 off your first week of deliveries when you subscribe. What is HelloFresh? They are uh, a service that sends you recipes, that sends you the ingredients you need to make those recipes, uh, and they provide these recipes in six easy to master steps which get you chopping zesting and cooking like a natural uh most of the recipes take just 30 minutes require very minimal equipment and yeah it it makes you feel like a master chef right i want to say i want to say two things dave first i love i love so this sending stuff to my house to for me to make it has changed my life but i want to say two things first of all did you guys see uh, someone tweeted at us that they took advantage of our yes, awesome HelloFresh deal? Yes, I saw deal. that. And yeah. they were so happy. They loved it. They were, I was so, they were so, I was so happy that, to hear that. Yeah, but, Matthew Menke tweeted, My first meal from HelloFresh, thanks to the Slash Filmcast for feeding me this week. And uh, he took a photo of the food, and it looks awesome. It looks yeah. delicious. And the other thing I want to say is I just read an article this week. I can't remember where I read it, but – um, basically, they were saying, um, you know, saturated fat and butter isn't as bad as we thought, yada, yada, yada. And they were basically saying, you know, what are healthy diets? And it said the single biggest thing you can do to improve your health is to cook at home. That is the biggest thing Americans can do is to go out to eat less often because if you cook at home, you know what's going in your food and yep. it's usually actual ingredients instead of – garbage that a lot of places, even good restaurants, will put a whole bunch of garbage in your food. And I have found that cooking at home with HelloFresh has absolutely – I eat healthier. I have better portion control and the food is delicious. So I highly recommend people take that advice too because when you cook for yourself, you know exactly what goes into it and you'll find that these recipes are actually really delicious even with a lot of you know none of the garbage that you find in in restaurants. Yeah. So if you want to take advantage of this special offer for our listeners, go to hellofresh.com, use promo code filmcast30. That's all one phrase, filmcast30 to save $30 off your first week of deliveries when you subscribe. HelloFresh.com, a great sponsor for us. We really appreciate them supporting the slash filmcast this year. We hope you'll check it out. Get $30 off. Uh, your first week of deliveries when you subscribe with promo code FILMCAST30 at HelloFresh.com. We also want to thank all the people that support this show uh, via donations. You can always donate to us at paypal.me slash filmcast. That's paypal.me slash filmcast. We got to thank this week. Uh, uh, we want to actually wish Happy Mother's Day to Diane from Hudson and Nick in Los Angeles. Uh, I-, I just think it's super cool if uh, – Hudson and Nick, who are wishing Happy Mother's Day to Diane. If Diane's actually listening, uh, you guys have a really cool mom. 
That is the raddest. That's also, great. or or maybe that's the hus, hus, husband and uh, son or daughter. That is whatever it is. I like the fact that we're now doing long distance dedications, guys. Yeah. yeah. Um, and even so feel even free. those without embarrassing uh, names. Yeah. Um, feel free if you want to send a long distance dedication. Send us a donation, and we will, like Casey Kasem. We'll send a send a. If you want to send a love note to your to your beloved who who listens with you, we'll do it. Yeah, we we're will. not above it. Uh, we also want to thank uh, Frank Grubich, Sean Moore, and Abdullah Ali, all the way from Saudi Arabia, for their contributions. You can always support us again by pay, going to PayPal.me slash the word filmcast or go to slash film.com click on the slash filmcast tab use the paypal links on the side of the page thanks also to new subscribers mike colpitz and stephen carley for their recurring donations at the rate of two dollars per month all the money you donate goes to help us defraying the cost of putting on the show uh and seeing the movies we see to talk about uh it can be pretty costly uh watching a bunch of movies and talking about them on the show we really appreciate all the support that you guys give us every week and we also appreciate hellofresh.com for their support too Jeff, let's finish up what we've been watching. What have you been watching this week? Well, I rewatched Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 uh, before seeing this. It, it, uh, sadly, I'd only ever seen it the, the one time in, in the cinema. Uh, so it was only the second time I'd ever watched it. And uh, it's only noteworthy in, to say that I think I even enjoyed it more the second go-round. I mean, I liked the movie a lot the first time, obviously. But it's a funny thing uh, that I thought I'd bring up. As somebody, you know, as a Marvel zombie from way back, and especially with Guardians kind of introducing a new corner of the Marvel universe, I think I spent more of that movie than I should have looking for Easter eggs, like perked up and <laughs> and looking in the backgrounds of scenes. Like, oh, there's the collectors. What's what's in the background? And uh, you know, the second time I could just relax and enjoy the movie, and I, I think I enjoyed it a little even more. So. Awesome. Uh, it's it, you know it's it's really good it's really fun. That's Guardians one. Uh, and what else have you been watching, Jeff Kanata? Well, Dave, uh, I was forced to watch <laughs> something this week. Um, as listeners of the show know, uh, we do a summer wager every year, and uh, you won the summer it, wager in 2016. Yeah, which meant that and, and also 2015. We should point that out too. Yep. It's not material to what we're talking about uh, now. I think it's pretty material, but okay. Uh, it's, I mean, it's incidental uh, at best. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, and the the stipulation of the wager in 2016 is that uh, the winner, uh, in this case you, uh, got to dis- prescribe a, a viewing experience of three hours or less to everybody else that, that played. So uh, seeing as how we were – Coming up to the 2017 movie wager, and I still hadn't made good on my commitment uh, to to make good on that you know on that uh, on that wager. Uh, Dave had told everybody to watch Gods of Egypt, and Devinger already did it. Uh, Jermaine had already done it. I don't think Peter did it, but I, by God, I was going to watch Gods of Egypt before we recorded our uh, summer movie wager. So. The night before we recorded our Sony major, just how I did all of my essays in college. The night before. We, well, we should also point out, by the way, that the Summer Movie Wager episode, one of our most requested episodes <laughs> in general, uh, will be released this week. Yes. Uh, so uh, we've already recorded it. We're really excited about getting it out to you guys. A lot of people uh, – I, I would say 
tens of dozens of tweets we've gotten. <laughs> tens of dozens. Just e- like saying, where's tens the summer movie, movie wager? Uh, you can actually enter yourself at thesummermoviewager.com this year. But anyway, uh, Jeff Canaba. Yeah, you should definitely check out thesummermoviewager.com because it's awesome. It's yeah. an awesome thing. Agreed. Anyway, so Gods of Egypt. Watched it. Got through it. Two hours long. Dave didn't want to pick a nice 90-minute movie. <laughs> two hours, Solid two. Two hours and seven, I think it was. Yeah. You I remember felt, every minute. Yeah. Felt every minute of that. <laughs> so uh, it's actually not as awful as some things I have actually seen on my own. I've paid mm-hmm. money to see. You know, <laughs> It is baffling, some of the decisions that were made. In this movie, so that people aren't familiar with Gods of Egypt. Gods of Egypt it was a, I guess, it was a summer action movie, or did it come out it's not like, in the summer? It was like March or something. I want to say March, okay. February. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's a big effects laden blockbuster type movie, a starring uh, what's his name from Game of Thrones, who plays uh, Nikolai Costerwaldo. Yeah. Yeah, he plays um, Horus, Jamie the Lannister, Egyptian god of air. Yeah, but it's a, saying Jamie Lannister, something people actually have seen. Dave, yeah, I see. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And uh, and actually a, a really great cast. And honestly, my big takeaway from this movie is that it doesn't matter how good your cast is. <laughs> it really doesn't. Because, you know, people will say uh, – people will say, oh, you know, uh, soap opera actors are so terrible or whatever. There is such a thing as a bad actor. But, but any actor can be made to look bad. Because someone with the chops of Jeffrey Rush is doing his damnedest in Gods of Egypt. Jeffrey Rush is amazing in this movie, Jeff. He is definitely not amazing in this movie. This is a point where you're either with the insanity of this movie (laughs) or you're not, right? That's kind of how it comes down. Yeah. It's – it it, it made me sad for Jeffrey Rush. And Jeffrey Rush is a guy who's been in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies and didn't look this bad. So – yeah, I mean, it really is a more of a function of of the filmmaker, especially in this case, which this movie really does look like a video game cutscene from two thousand two. <laughs> it is it is wall to wall green screen and CGI, and that's fine. That's fine. It's going to be a very dated. Look. I mean, it's already dated. Like I said, it looks like it's from two thousand two, but it's not going to stand up the test of time. But even even then. The decisions that were made of what what to shoot and how to shoot it does this movie no favors and particularly does the high-quality actors that are in it no favors. The most baffling decision – and maybe you guys talked about this. I just don't remember. The most baffling decision is that they thought it was really, really going to add a lot of cool stuff <laughs> to make the gods – much bigger than the yeah, humans. Larger in size, yeah. <laughs> like like we're talking like Hobbit to Gandalf. Yeah, level. G- Gandalf to Hobbit size comparison. Yeah. 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 And, and so there's a so the whole movie is about the intersection between the gods, who are these physical beings that decide how you get into the afterlife in, in ancient Egypt, and the humans who are kind of subjugated and enslaved if the gods want them to be, but you know, try to fight against that so there's a lot there's it's kind of a buddy picture between one of the gods and one of the humans and it's the stupidest idea i could have possibly imagined and and it could not have been easy it probably added (laughs) hundreds of man hours of visual effects work uh in order to create an effect that is patently ridiculous 
I mean, it's it doesn't just, look good. It doesn't look good. It adds <laughs> nothing, and it, it, it. I'm sure it made shooting every scene more difficult. <laughs> and what you get for all that work is is that every sequence with a human and a and a and a uh, god is just dumb looking. It, it, it's very distracting. It, it, <laughs> it, it, it takes away from whatever drama is going on in the scene. And then. <laughs> The gods also have the unique ability to sort of at will – well, not all at will. They have to have all of their parts evidently. But Sure. Voltron, uh, what, Jeff. <laughs> yes. Once you have all your parts, you can at will transmogrify into some sort of Egyptian god – I don't know. Like a – it's like a Final Fantasy summon. You know, it's like a – it's a winged creature that has is, – is more powerful in some undetermined way. Why they're not always in that form it doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, what that form actually gets them other than being able to fly it doesn't make much sense to me. And it's tiring, Jeff. Come on. I guess it is tiring. It's t- certainly tiring for the visual effects artists. <laughs> uh, because once, you know, once the gods turn into the, that thing, it is just a CG cutscene uh, from a video game and not a particularly good one, I, I am sad to say. Uh, and, and like the 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 rules of that and how that works and why that's happening never really makes any sense. There are actually some good ideas in this movie, some really interesting things it's saying about like, you know, uh, rich people getting into heaven or the afterlife and, you know, or, or not or what the worth is. And there's some cool stuff with Jeffrey Rush's character is like he has to fight a demon every night and push it back. And I thought that was kind of a neat thing. But so and and some of the fight scenes are actually kind of cool if they weren't shot in the most baffling, overly stylized, complicated. Yeah, there's one fight scene with Nikolai Kostarwaldo's character uh, that takes place on some rocks. I think yes, that yes. is one of the worst looking fight scenes I've ever seen. It just. Yeah. And- but what he does in it, like the, the fight choreographer did some really cool stuff. And the ideas of how he takes down those beasts on the rocks are actually cool if it wasn't shot by like a six-year-old that stole your iPhone for a few minutes. It's, yeah. it's, it's so haphazard and, and out of control and all over the place. And just every sequence in this movie is two people standing in front of a green screen. I mean it is – I don't, tell me why you wanted me to watch – why you wanted all of us to watch well, this. Well, you know, Jeff, when uh, I originally told you guys all to watch it, I, I was called monstrous. Mm. I was called sociopathic. Yes. Uh, but I stand he, by that. But hearing you talk about it now, it just – it brings me so much joy. So <laughs> That's what makes you a monster. This is, yeah, that's this is, It was all worth it. It was all worth it just to hear you <laughs> talk about it just now, Jeff. So uh-huh. monster confirmed. So Devendra, uh-huh. I know we – yeah. Can you commiserate with me a little bit on this? This, I, this So I hear you. I hear you, Jeff. Like, there, there is a lot of not good in this movie. Um, I, I do think Dave pointed out that, you know, it is sort of like a singular vision that we don't quite see often enough. Um, Alex Perez is a guy I've loved since, you know, I was in high school. because the of guy who made Dark City. He made The Crow. Yeah, he made, he the made crow. one good movie. The Dark, Dark City, City? Jeff. Dark Come City. On. Dark yeah, City yeah, solid. It was and a, also, Knowing was another movie that was like, really weird and really like messed up but also like strange and unique so i'm a big fan of those types of movies so there are things i appreciate about it um my big takeaway now though what makes me really sad is that dave really likes us much more than american gods (laughs) like yeah (laughs) i love how you found things to love in this train wreck dave 
<laughs> and the beauty of American Gods is in front of you. You're like, uh. what do you like about this movie, David? Uh, well, I, you you've already touched upon all the things, Jeff. Like just oh, that. I like, didn't think I said anything positive. <laughs> just, things, but good. <laughs> yeah, uh, you see some things and ideas that just every single time when you think, oh, this movie has gone as crazy as it can possibly go. It ups the ante. It says, hey, what I just did, I know you've never seen anything like that before. I know you've never seen, you know, two human-sized dudes take down these gigantic, ginormous serpents uh, that are, like, riding through this maze. But guess what? The next scene's going to have something even – it's going to have 5,000 Black Panthers in there. But you know what, David? I, I, I honestly <laughs> felt like at a certain point – the the next wacky thing would happen and i would like it, none of it makes any sense cuz none of it it's like it's like a little kid scribbling on a piece of paper it, it none of yeah, it yeah. you know at a certain point when the guy's like why why walk when we can ride and like a chariot comes down with like a thousand birds yeah. carrying it and i was like why not? Okay. Why not? Sure. <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I think that that's sort of it's like an old like a uh, Harryhausen film or something, right? It is it is like big and bold and stupid, but we used to enjoy that. I guess it's just harder to do that now. But I, even I don't know with Harryhausen, I felt like oh, I'm marveling at the artistry of pulling that off. With right. this, it it really did not feel, and I'm sure there were thousands and thousands of man hours tens of thousands of man hours as david dozens of tens of thousands of man hours that went into the visual effects of this movie because there's not a single shot that i could find that didn't have visual effects in it yeah sure but to what end because none of it feels like i'm watching a movie it doesn't it feels like i'm watching a piece of animation and and i'm not one to criticize you know digital effects i just just on the face of them like i don't you know, I just don't think the quality was there. Maybe yeah. I don't know. It's a cheap looking movie. I do think like yes. that artistry would be more there if you probably had the budget to realize it. Yeah. Well, Jeff, I'm sorry you didn't have a good time. <laughs> no, you're not. You're <laughs> delighted that I didn't have a good time. Uh, well, that's your review of Gods of Egypt. It's on HBO now, HBO Go. Who knows what I'm going to recommend next year after I win oh. this year's Summit Movie Wager. It's going to be – Must be stopped. I, I want you to be hoisted on your own petard. <laughs> uh, but if you, comp- if you compare – I mean not to jump ahead, but if you compare the, the like digital effects in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 with, mm-hmm. with Gods of Egypt. And there are sequences that have similarly few real filmed things in them. You know what I mean? Um, it's, like, it's like night and day. Well, yeah, but it's also like what ten, t- uh, much much bigger budget, yeah, and like access to some of the best visual effects, you know, houses right. in the world. Like, yeah, it does make a big difference for sure. It does. All right, guys, there's actually a couple things I want to talk about, and I, I'm sorry we have to speed through them just because we are we are running out of time here. Uh, we've been recording for quite a while already, but uh, news broke this week uh, of a dispute that Johnny Depp was having with his ex managers. And in a lawsuit, uh, this is a, I'm reading from a Hollywood Reporter here. They allege that the actor's extravagant spending led to his losing millions of dollars, uh, and they they divulged lots of embarrassing details uh, about Johnny Depp's life. Uh, quote: Depp lived an ultra extravagant lifestyle that often knowingly cost Depp in excess of two million dollars per month to maintain, which he simply could not afford. Depp and Depp alone. Is fully responsible for any financial turmoil he finds himself in uh, today, according to attorney Michael Crump. 
Um, Depp, not Crump. Depp, right. Depp and Depp alone, not Crump. Crump, Crump no Depp. <laughs> okay. Uh, so the, the, the story here is entitled Johnny Depp has an epic uh, – has a clear and epic sense of entitlement, uh, managers say. Uh, and they, he gave, Johnny Depp gave a, an interview with, to the Wall Street Journal in which he said, it's my money. If I want to buy 15,000 cotton balls a day, it's my thing. So uh, cited among his purchases are 14 residences, 45 luxury vehicles, 70 collectible guitars, and enough Hollywood memorabilia um, to fill 12 storage facilities. Notably, Quick side mo, isn't isn't that exactly what's wrong with America today, guys? It's my money, and if I want to waste it, I can waste it. Is is there no shame? Do we have we lost all shame that there are literally people who can't feed themselves, and this guy says, "I want to piss it on cotton balls. I can do it because fuck everybody." Indeed, just, indeed. By the so way, did I mention ups. that we are launching a Kickstarter soon to fund our trip to Pandora Land, Jeff? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, true true story. Hmm. Uh, Cast anyway. no, no cotton balls. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> he has never purchased all, cotton balls. We live in cotton houses. Cast the first cotton ball. Uh, notably, the managers also claim that Depp spends hundreds of thousands of dollars on a sound engineer who feeds him lines on set. Uh, quote, Depp insisted that the sound engineer be kept on a yearly retainer so that he no longer had to memorize his lines, end quote. Jeff Kanata, you are an actor. <laughs> Indeed. Do you have any thoughts on the idea of getting fed lines uh, in a headset? Um, I mean, I think that this is lazy, and I think it's uh, it's the equivalent of phoning it in. You know, I mean, it, it's almost almost literally phoning it in. Someone's phoning it into him, um, and I think, sort of on principle, it is. Uh, objectionable as somebody that that values the art form and and understands that sort of digesting the words and making them your own is part of what that job is and and I I believe strongly in that and but there's also a part of me that feels like you know if he's capable of delivering performances that are uh acceptable to his employers using this method there's not really any reason not to. Like, I, I don't think any of us looked at his performance and went, oh, he's clearly being fed those lines. Right. If that was the case, then he shouldn't do it, right? But if he can pull it off, but it's also those things of like, well. Maybe your respect for him goes up after you learn this news because he know. can pull that off. Maybe. I mean, I know that Brando famously did it on the set of Superman and, there, you know, there have been a lot of big actors that have done it. And I, many times in my life, uh, not in a dramatic role, but in a hosting gig, uh, read from a teleprompter. I do it often. Um, so, and that is a skill, right? That's a, that's a, a difficult thing to, to learn. <sighs> you know, I, I, it's hard to begrudge, begrudge him something. If you were like, man, his performances have gotten really crappy lately. I wonder what it is. And then you found this out. You'd go like, okay, well that makes sense. But if, if I mean, I wouldn't of, say he's been lighting the world on fire with his performances, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know that there's a lot of performances that people are pointing to them and, and thinking, wow, that was Oscar-worthy performance by Johnny Depp recently. I'm not yeah. saying it's terrible. I agree with you that he clears the bar of not seeming like he's getting it in, a, in an earpiece. But um, it, it, you know, I, I think there's a lot to the idea that he might not be trying his hardest anymore. Well, I think the fifth 
pirates film that you sign on the dotted line is proof that you're not really trying that hard anymore. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Like, let's come back after the fifth, fifth pirates film comes out and see. Like, did we think he was using a, a headset? But well, uh, I mean, I think now that you know, it's always always different too. But uh, I think if your motivation is to buy more cotton balls rather than to you know deliver some piece of art to the world at that level, I think it's pretty sad commentary. All right. Uh, well, let's move on to one other piece of film news. Now, Devinder, you wanted to bring this up last week, and I just mm-hmm. I feel the need to talk about this. Um, Matt Singer over at ScreenCrush.com has written oh, yes. a pretty awesome piece that actually I believe was mentioned on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, uh, talking about what the hell is going on in the world of cars. <laughs> <laughs> because if you think about all of Pixar's movies, Toy Story, A Bug's Life, Monsters, Inc., a lot of those movies take place in our universe, right? It's just in a part of the universe, a part of our world that we don't see or don't have access to. But Cars is different. According to this article, I'm going to quote here, in the Cars world, the motor vehicles, trucks, planes, boats, and, and uh, pities uh, are the only living creatures. If humanity existed, it had died out before the start of the film. But And this is a, in a, a typically dark premise for a Disney movie marketed to four-year-olds. Humanity must have existed in the world of Cars at some point because everywhere you looked in every single frame, there was evidence that living creatures used to exist. <laughs> After all, if there were never any human beings in Cars world, why do the cars have door handles? It may be a planet of cars, but like the planet of the apes, it is definitely Earth, or at least it was in the past. The cars speak English. Their map is littered with recognizable landmarks from Route 66 to Hollywood. Things get even more confusing in Cars 2, which takes its heroes, race car Lightning McQueen and tow truck Mater, out of the imaginary town of Radiator Springs on an international adventure with stops in Japan, where there's sushi and wasabi even though there are apparently no fish in Cars World, <laughs> Paris, complete with Eiffel Tower, and Italy, where the Pope Mobile is a beloved religious figure. Based on the evidence on screen, the Cars have not built a vaguely human society. The Cars have taken over human society. The U.S. flag is even visible in one scene in the first Cars. Did the Cars overthrow a government? Possibly as part of a coup de fiat. <laughs> coup de fiat! <laughs> That's good. All right, so... So the uh, idea here is that uh, Elon Musk is is step one to Cars World. That's right. right? We, that's right. That so, we eventually create uh, AI so sophisticated that it destroys us all. Jay and Ward, they, creative director of the Cars universe, at a press junket for Cars 3, was asked this question by Matt Singer, where the heck did the cars in Cars come from? And he said, quote, if you think about this, we have autonomous car technology coming in right now. It's getting to the point where you can sit back in the car and it drives itself. Imagine in the near future when the cars keep getting smarter and smarter, and after one day they just go, why do we need human beings anymore? They're just slowing <laughs> us down. It's just extra weight. Let's get rid of them. But the car takes on the personality of the last person who drove it. Whoa. I, I love the dot, dot, dot. <laughs> but, but, it, but it takes on the personality, okay? Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. There you go. End quote. So, uh, and then Matt says here, the cars taking on the personalities of the last person that drove them is interesting. That would explain why some of the vehicles talk like and are even named after famous racers like Mario Andretti and celebrities like Jay Leno. Uh, so, uh, also, he said that they have a couple of rules in the, uh, in the universe of cars. For instance, number one on the list, you'll never see the doors open because the brain and the eyes are in there. We don't want anything falling out of the side. So, yeah, uh, those crashes must look horrific, by the way. This makes the Cars universe into something way more sinister and scary 
than we had ever thought before. <laughs> uh, Davinder, you wanted to talk about this in the podcast. Any reason this resonated with you? I, I just wanted to bring it up because I remember we 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 had this you know question. We did wonder how this world came about. I do find it to be kind of terrifying, and I can't wait till the kids who grew up watching these movies when they're in their like twenties are like, "Wait a minute, you know that was really fucked up." <laughs> that whole thing. It's like so watching I'm wait, Bambi I'm as a big It's like watching Bambi as a kid and realize like they killed Bambi's mom. Yeah, and that's that's a terrifying prospect <laughs> to to encounter. Uh, I actually saw this article at BuzzFeed that was like, like. 20 messed up moments in Disney movies and there there has been a lot of killing oh, yeah. in Disney yeah. movies. A lot of killing in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 to be honest with you. This, but, but I think this goes even far beyond it, right? Cuz this is complete genocide of the human race. <laughs> yeah. This is the yeah. end times. This is Skynet. And yeah, and then I'm wondering how do, how do the cars then evolve like organs? Like what's what's going on there? <laughs> yeah, mm. why do they need organs? It feels like it, it would make them weaker. But you know, it sound it, it feels. What's fascinating, Devendra, is that cars and the Matrix now take place on alternate timelines. Like like in one version of the human race being taken over by machines, it's you know the Matrix. In one version, it's cars. In one version, it's Terminator Two. You know, yeah, or Terminator yeah. Three, or whatever, whatever one's uh, a Terminator Salvation. I think is the only constant is that we all die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Get ready. So, anyway, uh, on, on that, that note, happy note, <laughs> <laughs> let's get into our review of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. The fate of the universe lies on your shoulders. Now, whatever you do, don't push this button because that will set off the bomb immediately, and we'll all be dead. Now, repeat back what I just said. I'm Groot. No! No, that's the button that will kill everyone. Try again. I'm Groot. Mm-hmm. I'm Groot. Uh-huh. I'm Groot. No! Showtime, a-holes. Ah! All right, that was from the trailer of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, the newest Marvel film written and directed by James Gunn. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. Set to the backdrop of awesome mixtape number two, uh, but Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 continues the team's adventures as they unravel the mystery of Peter Quill's true parentage. Uh, so uh, we are not going to spoil the mystery of Peter Quill's true parentage in the pre-spoiler section of this movie. It's in the trailer, though. Uh, but yeah. yeah. It, it mean, is in the trailer. Part, like, everybody knows. Part, everybody knows. Parts of it are in the trailer. Yeah. Uh, um, I mean, yeah, parts of it. But the big, like, oh, hey, who, who's, who's yeah, this Yeah, well, it's also yeah. early on in the movie, yeah. Kurt Russell reveals himself as there you go. as uh, Peter Quill's father. So That's as much as we know from the trailer. Yeah, I don't feel yes. bad giving that, that. That happens, like, I think in the first five minutes of the movie, you know, so first Pretty ten minutes. Soon, yeah. it's, not, it's not a big spoiler. Uh, but... Devinder Hardware, I'm going to go with you first yeah. because I already know what Jeff's going to say about this movie. Uh, what did you think of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2? Oh, I loved it. This movie had me grinning from ear to ear. Um, I really liked the first one too. Uh, but I think in some ways this one is even more impressive um, because it gets deeper into the characters. We kind of we know who they are already, right? They don't need to set up the world. They don't need to set up these characters. We know the whole deal with Peter Quill and his whole his whole team. Um and I found it to be just like a great adventure, a great story of friendship, but also hashtag family. 
guys, because that's really what it all <laughs> comes back to. And I think uh, it was really moving and effective at times, like just this idea of like, you know, the connections we have and the bonds we have and how we kind of have to fight for our families. Um, maybe yeah, some yeah, of it's guys, a little. Yeah, I saw I saw a movie this week uh, where uh, yep. Vin Diesel said very few words and <laughs> Kurt Russell pulled a lot of strings uh, that, and he was behind a lot of the things that we saw. Uh, but enough about Fast and the Furious, right? Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> that, was, uh, that was pretty good. Pretty good. Not bad. You could have added some bit about family in there, but yes. Like, I, I agree. Diesel's well, baby voice in Fast and Furious. Like, uh, it all connects. Um, but yeah, overall, I loved it. Um, I, I do think I see people saying it's not as like as surprising, I guess, as the first one was. And it's really hard to kind of recreate that. But I think it's impressive that James Gunn went deeper. I, I love the way he's approaching uh, these stories. Um, I've always loved him as a storyteller too. And I love that his voice, his very distinctive voice is still here. All of his stories, if it uh, was like a uh, slither with like the alien invasion and even super a really messed up superhero movie, uh, there's always a heart to them. And that heart is still here. Jeff Kanava, take it away. It, it, this is the easiest movie to recommend. Uh, if you liked guardians of the galaxy, you are going to have a blast with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. I think it doubles down on all of the stuff that made the first movie great. I don't think it is as good as the first movie personally, but I do think it is solid. And right from the very first two minutes of this movie, the the opening credit sequence, Mm -hmm. if you remember in the first Guardians of the Galaxy, that moment when uh, Star-Lord walks into that cave and then turns on the music and starts dancing. And you were like, oh, we're in this kind of movie now. This like, is different. A movie, a movie that's going to have yeah. fun and it's going to be you know, whimsical and not take itself too seriously. This movie does that in its opening credit sequence times a million. And it is one of the most fun intergalactic sort of comic book level sequences I've ever seen in any movie. And it's just the opening credit sequence. This is like a throwaway almost. Uh, so right there, you just know you're in good hands. You're already laughing. You're already having a good time. It already knows who these characters are and how they relate to one another and all their fun dynamics are on display. And the, and the movie never loses that, right? It, I think it's funnier than the first movie and the, and the, the humor comes from the interaction between the characters, all of the stuff that Drax says, uh, baby Groot. I mean, as a, as a father of an infant who is not able to communicate to me yet with words clearly there was a lot of people on the animation staff of this movie that either have kids or watched a lot of videos of kids because it like it maybe tear up a couple of times just like how he would behave and how you would the little baby Groot would move I was like oh my god that's my son he like my son does that thing it's charming it's wonderful it's great and the movie is a blast from start to finish I do have some complaints about it. It's not a perfect movie. I think it's it bites off a little more than it can chew with the scale and scope of where it goes in the third act. And I think it kind of falls into the trap that a lot of these movies do of trying to convey a an immensity of the problem and losing I, I think a I don't know, a simplicity and a clarity of purpose. And I think that the 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 final fight is is a little messy and not as 
not as clear as it could be. And, and I, and I think that that's a shame, but still it's a lot of fun and there's still great moments within all that. And these are kind of minor gripes, but overall, you know, a great movie. It has a lot of surprises. Uh, it sets up a third movie in a really cool way. I also, my other minor gripe, and this is super minor and a little nitpicky, but I kind of feel like the retro soundtrack thing might get a little tired. Mm, yeah. Uh, it yeah. was a little too much. It's not yeah. as good, too. Like, it's not really, as great tracks. But yeah. they, but they here's contrive a, ways to get that music. Like, there's a sequence when, you know, there's this well, I won't even say what it is. There's a sequence where, the, where somebody's like, hey, do you, do you have a Star-Lord's tape co- a copy of one of his tapes anywhere? Can you put that on? <laughs> it's like it's really trying so hard to, to – it's just like, OK, we get it. We understand that this that's the thing with these movies. But but here's the I thing, Jeff. S- at least they gave a crap about making the music diegetic, yeah, which is yeah. more than I can say for a movie like Suicide Squad. You know, True. It just, they, it just starts it up for no reason. Exactly. Yeah. Like in, in this movie, at least they, they always find an excuse, sometimes very cleverly, to right. put uh, music in the scene, right. actually in the scene. And, so. and for the most part, I, I don't know. I thought the soundtrack was pretty good. In fact, uh, you know, another personal level with Baby Groot um, – one of the one of the, I I play guitar and I have some songs that I play for my son. I put him in, in his little play area and I pull out my guitar and I sing to him. One of the songs that I go back to over and over and over again is Cat Stevens' uh, "Father and Son." Uh, it's one of my favorite songs. I love Cat Stevens in general from many years ago. Uh, and and so to hear that song in this movie, it was like, oh my god, it's like hitting me on all the feels. So there's a lot of that personal connection too, and and and, the, and that's what great music does is it connects you in a personal way that is just like sh- like a lightning bolt to your you know to your brain of like oh this thing has connotations to my life immediately um and i think you know i, I i'm not going to hold that too much against these movies it's just it's a little bit of a shortcut and it's a little at a certain point when you get like 15 or 16 of these songs in a movie, it's like, okay, okay, we, we can calm down a little bit. It doesn't all have to be that. But again, easy movie to recommend. I had a blast watching it. I laughed a lot. It, it looks great. The the CG is fantastic. Rocket Raccoon is – you never doubt that he's like a real person in that scene even though he's clearly not. So it's a, it's a great, great film. I really enjoyed this as well. Um, it it sounds like you didn't like it as much as Guardians One. I agree. I did not like it as much as Guardians One. Uh, Davindra, you liked it more than Guardians One. I think. I mean, I really. It's it's kind of hard to judge right now, and it really depends on like uh, how I revisit it and stuff. But I really enjoyed it, and I love that it went deeper. I think into their relationship. So yeah, I found it I more impressive. Say. One thing yeah. I really like about this movie here here are my favorite things about this movie is, firstly, it's very funny. Uh, and it's it has this kind of edge to its humor that I think is what James Gunn brings to the table. Uh, and secondly, I love the visual language of the film, like the design aspects of this universe. Uh, the production design, I think, is just very clever. And like w- the way the ships fire fire lasers, for example, uh-huh. I think is super cool. Uh, and so it's it's just gorgeous to look at and uh, really enjoy. Uh, just watching it as a visual experience the color like the level yeah. of vibrant color all the time in in that universe is <laughs> there, so it's such a joy there are five times stops. as many colors 
in this film than there are in Batman v Superman. You know? like, <laughs> oh, God, just, yeah. <laughs> just in terms of the, the palette that he, they're using here. It's people great. paint it entirely in gold, and yeah. it just looks amazing. And also Elizabeth Debicki, once again, being, like, just awesome. Oh, like, yeah, uh, Man from yeah. Uncle, right? Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, Man yeah, from yeah. Uncle, like, yeah. just being her awesome uh, self. And I love that whole sequence, too. There's a sequence of people firing ships. It's like, oh, this this is hilarious because of the sounds it's making, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also like that, yeah, they took time to, rather than introduce five new characters, they introduced a couple new characters, which is fine for a sequel, but they tried to mm-hmm. um, fill in gaps that were not filled in in the initial film in terms of the relationship between the characters. And I really like that. You know, I, I like that they, mm-hmm. they're trying to take time with the relationships. I don't know that it fully works. I wish we'd had a little bit more to work with from the first film. Uh, but. I, I, I appreciated the effort. And so those are the things I like about the movie. I had a great time. I would say this is probably top third of uh, Marvel films, but probably mm-hmm. near the bottom of the top third of Marvel films, in, in my opinion. Like, <laughs> okay. It's not, not, a bad, not a bad Marvel film. Not, I wouldn't call it middling. I would call it like in the top third. But it's certainly not in my like top three Marvel films or anything like that. Do you guys have uh, any sense of where it falls in the pack for you? I'd have to think harder. Yeah, me too. But it, it's it, definitely, it's definitely great. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think also, like, in terms of things I didn't like, the only thing I'll just say is this before we get into spoilers, is that uh, I thought the film was surprisingly violent. Mm. Uh, I would not have taken a, a child to go see this movie. I wouldn't have taken anyone under, under 13 just because uh, tons of people die. And they die in uh, beautiful but horrifying ways in this movie. And uh, I just wouldn't have expected that, you know, a Disney Marvel film would be like that. I'm not saying I, I didn't enjoy it. I'm just saying, like, it's there's stuff in there that if I had seen it as a kid would have given me nightmares, I think. Mm. And uh, so I just thought it was kind of kind of particularly scary, which is interesting because, you know, there's also the cutest character ever in, in any, any Marvel film, which is Baby Groot, who will spawn thousands of memes, right? Uh, so that was just one thing that I just thought was uh, surprising about this movie. So shall we get into spoilers, gentlemen? Yes. Sure. Spoilers for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 coming up right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. All right, Jeff Kanata, what's your beef with the closing scene? I mean, I, I think it works, and it is—it's f- still fun. The whole movie is so fun. I just, you know, we're in super spoilers, so I'm just going to say it straight out. Uh, you know, Ego, the Living Planet, is mm-hmm. the main villain in this movie, and I think that's a wonderful swerve, right? Because they they set up villains, and you think it's going a one way, and and to find out that that's actually the villain is is pretty fun. But the logistics of fighting a planet it just doesn't really work that well <laughs> you know it's just not great um and they do a they do an admirable job of trying to give everybody a purpose and everybody mm-hmm. having a role to play but ultimately it's just not a very compelling fight to be fighting against a planet and i think it gets a little bit abstract at the end and and, and loses some punch because it's just just challenging to have a villain who is uh kind of omnipotent in some ways right and and to have 
a like and who has supernatural powers, but you defeat him using you know natural way, natural means. I think uh, Doctor Strange had a very similar challenge, right? That they had this god who Doctor Strange is facing off against, and how but do you a defeat brilliant him? solution in that case, right? Uh, and in this case, they used the bomb, you know, right. uh, which is but you fine. know in in the weak spot. <laughs> the, right. I mean, towards the end of the movie, they, they're making up rules left and right. It's like, oh, yeah. we got to get the bomb to his weak spot, and we need to do it while he's sleeping. You know, like it yeah. felt like they're just throwing in all this exposition in there, right. and it's it wasn't super elegant. In fact, I, I would I would say that that really is another gripe that I had is the movie is really clunky at exposition. I yeah. mean, there's literally a sequence when Kurt Russell is like walking down this museum he made for some reason <laughs> to like. Ex- he's and, really and, bored. Well, yeah. no, 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 because he's had to explain this story yeah. to a bunch of uh, dead kids. And so <laughs> yeah, he, he's I, I like, hey, I should str- – got to streamline yeah. this process. i got to make yeah. some mannequins for yeah. this thing because uh, – I thought yeah. it was actually funny when you know he starts showing him mating with all the different alien species. Yeah. That was pretty yeah. amusing. It's like, why but did I just think that? I don't – did you have to explain that to everybody? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We don't need that particular diorama. But anyway. I, yeah. Uh, uh, by the way, just quick side note. We have arrived at making old actor look like young actor. Yeah. And I mean, yep. young Kurt Russell at the beginning of that movie. Very convincing. Very Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. I mean, especially with an actor like Kurt Russell who we've been watching for 30, 40 years on screen who literally, ha- you know, you can look back at his film appearances when he was the age he's supposed to be in the beginning of this movie and go, that looks like it. It looks <laughs> now, like it. Now imagine if Gods of Egypt tried this, right? It would just be like a big pixelated blob. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think there was maybe one shot that I wasn't that I didn't buy, but everything else, I, I was looking for the seams and I couldn't find them. So mm-hmm. uh, overall, I thought they did a great job. I, I don't know if we've quite arrived yet. I, I would say we're like ninety-five percent of the way there. It's definitely better than the like completely fake actor in Rogue One. Like the fact that, you yeah, know, yeah. he probably did most of the motion stuff for it so they could just like map around his face really work. Go well. all the way back to, I think, X-Men Origins Wolverine when we see uh-huh. young Patrick Stewart. Uh, right. It just is a night and day experience. Well, so. X3, right? We see young Magneto and young Patrick Stewart there. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think Russ Fisher on the Slash Filmcast once said, it looks like he came out of the Polar Express <laughs> in that movie. <laughs> uh, and Kurt Russell does not look like he came out of the Polar Express in this movie. Oh, man, so. it's amazing. Yeah. It's It's quite amazing. Um. Yeah. Well, other sp- other spoilers. I mean, I, I think that Stallone. Uh, Come on. Not enough Stallone. More yeah. Stallone. I yeah. need so, that one scene where he's just like having an argument with Yondu. So yeah. good. Not enough Stallone. We uh, clearly he's there to set up future films. But um, yeah, I, I was I felt cheated by my level of Stallone in this movie. So, Jeff, can you explain one of, one of the five post-credit sequences was about the Ravagers going off and doing something? Can you explain what that was? Michelle Yeoh was there. I think um, uh, there's a few other recognizable actors there. Like, can you explain what that was? Do you have any insight into that? Uh, I don't know. Honestly, I, 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 maybe somebody else would have more insight into what they were actually going to do. But it is they are uh, various teams of Ravagers that I suspect will play a prominent role in the third film. Um, so, you know, it's, it's these factions of these sort of intergalactic outlaws, uh, that have a, you know, a code of ethics. Um, but the, the, you know, there's a lot of post credit sequences. The one that got me excited the most, um, as a Marvel fanboy from way back is, um, Adam Warlock is they clearly source Adam Warlock 
uh, who is a pretty cool part of the Marvel Universe. And, and I think they do it in a pretty clever way. I didn't see it coming even though they're an entirely gold uh, race of people and he is a, a gold character. I just thought I was like, oh, brilliant. They've been, it's it's it, in plain, hiding in plain sight here, this origin for Adam Warlock. Um, so the idea that um, that Marvel character is clearly coming to at least the Guardians films and maybe uh, will play a part in the Infinity War because he does in the comic book. He's a big Infinity Gems type of fella. Um, made me very excited. You know what was interesting was how little of the Marvel Universe is actually in this movie. Right? I completely agree. Yeah, very, it's very much in its own place. Very self-contained, right? Yeah. It's, uh, uh, there's very few forced elements that tie into the other movies. Yeah, uh, it didn't feel the need to overlap in any way. And I think that there, there that was is, more of that in Guardians Volume 1. Well, I think that that is a function of the success of Guardians Volume 1, that it yeah. didn't, they didn't feel the need to, you know, it, it, it could rest on the fact that it was a sequel to a very successful film franchise rather than being, you know, related to the Marvel Universe per se. Yeah, agreed. Uh, and I think the movie is stronger for it. Uh, any thoughts on the uh, Mantis, played by, played by Palm Clementif? Uh, she's kind of one of the major new characters mm-hmm. in the movie. Mm-hmm. She clearly is now part of the team. Yeah. yeah. I thought, she, yeah, I- she's fine. It's fine. I, I didn't have any any issues with her. It's uh, more like who who is this new person? Because I don't. I, I care about my team. I, care about the <laughs> I like yes, the dynamic know. between her and uh, David Batista's character. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it's uh, really fun. I mean, fun. they really gave Drax a lot of of the humor in this yeah, one because he was a hit fun. in the first one. And mm-hmm. you know, you know, kudos to to Batista for pulling off the. You know, I mean, this is a guy who mm-hmm. was not an actor; he was a professional wrestler, and. Uh, I think he does a f- fine job. Well on his way to becoming the next The Rock. Uh, <laughs> Maybe. So, yeah, I thought he did a great job as well. I think I, I, I found the beginning of this film to be a little bit contrived in terms of the plot. Like uh, Rocket Raccoon just happens to steal these things, and they, they have a good character backup mm-hmm. for it. You know, that, that's all explained later. But uh, Rocket Raccoon shows up. Uh, steals these things for reasons that aren't super clear. He's the thief. And, and then uh, yeah. uh, Kurt Russell's character shows up right after to save them. Yeah. Even though, know, like, these things are, these very important things are happening, like, all right next to each other. It just felt yeah. very convenient and contrived. The events um, of Guardians 1 should have kind of led him there, right? Yeah. Like, why, why yeah, didn't Kurt I, Russell show up after, you know, during Guardians 1? What's the save the galaxy. Yeah. It did, it did, it did, um, strain credulity when he said i've been searching for you and it's like well then you're really terrible at searching because <laughs> wasn't he like on a wanted list in the firm's movie right. and like, you know? yeah it just it didn't really but i really loved what they did with yondu i, oh, I thought yeah. that was just yeah. a, a yeah. great turn and and really was the heart of the movie in a very unexpected way like yeah. you know yondu is just kind of a side character in the first film and uh giving him his sort of canon mohawk uh, from the, from the comics, which was a really cool uh, little Easter egg kind of deal. But uh, the humanizing him and making having something really to say about almost about foster parents in general, uh, mm-hmm. it, it just was uh, it was really lovely. I thought it was a, a beautiful turn for him. Yeah, I loved okay. when the, all the pieces connected for the Yondu plot. Like I, I saved you, kid. You know, like from this and. It hit me in a really big way too. Like, and that's kind of that's something James Gunn does, right? Towards the end of his films, like uh, character beats and uh, you know plot beats kind of intersect in a way. 
that hits you emotionally. Kind of wish more Marvel movies did this, um, and more movies in general, because it is possible to like have this emotional resonance, you know, uh, in a big budget blockbuster like this. What did uh, you guys think of the Hasselhoff cameo? So good. Are right? you kidding me? Like I grew up like also idolizing Hasselhoff. So yes, <laughs> so good. Uh, the scene I was referring to in the pre-spoiler section was the one where Yondu killed uh, 500 people with his arrow mm-hmm. thingy. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which reminded me of a John Woo movie. You know, this yep. kind of ballet of violence of just him murdering all these people. <laughs> uh, it was beautiful to watch, but also uh, pretty terrifying, pretty horrifying. Cause a, yeah. a surprising number of body horror elements in this movie, which <laughs> I don't uh, – I'm not surprised at given that this is by the guy who directed Slither. But yeah. I was surprised to find it in a uh, in yeah. a Disney film. And Baby Groot is a straight up murderer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That felt like it should have been a bigger moment when Groot <laughs> kills that guy. Yeah, he, when he, now he has the taste for blood. Now you know what I mean. <laughs> well, he does in the first movie too. He kills a lot of yes. people. First oh no, definitely. But Baby Groot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Baby Groot. Yeah. Baby Groot. Yeah. Um, uh, how much? How great was it? The I can't remember the name of the race of the gold people but uh how great was it like their like video game interfaces yes. yeah and all yes. the like video game sound effects that they use i just thought that was such a clever cool visualization of that it was very funny yeah <laughs> it was very um last starfighter you know yeah very last starfighter i think that's it and also like just you get a sense of who they are right they're just like overly proud yeah you know rich snobs and that just continues all the way through and kind of leads their plot line and leads to adam warrock yeah you're war- not adam warrock which is our theme song <laughs> right. adam warlock. yeah 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 uh all right guys well is uh, i think that's all we have to say or most of it uh well we- uh jeff i'm wondering stanley and the watchers any any thoughts oh, about that that, that kind of changes does. the canon of all these stanley cameos right it was brilliant i mean it's brilliant um so it, the, it, ex- explain what's happening for, for people who don't know what you're talking about obviously stanley has had a cameo in all the marvel movies um and there is uh, i think two scenes one there's one post-credit mm-hmm. scene right of him sitting with the Watchers, the Watchers are an intergalactic, omnipotent race of beings who use their Super omnipotence. Yeah, yeah, who use their omnipotence to just stay out of things, but but observe. They were once a, they once were a, a very powerful race that influenced things and you know use their power proactively. They fucked up and and caused some big problems. So they, as an entire race, just decided we're staying out of everything, uh, and so. Um, they just watch and record, and they've been used as a device in Marvel Comics for decades as a way to be narrators of like, I'm the watcher. I observed them checking it out, basically like uh, you know talking to the reader and saying, here's what I checked. Look, look what the Avengers are doing. This is crazy. <laughs> um, so the idea that Stan Lee, who is the you know the the creator of Marvel Comics in a large sense, um, it would be sort of telling them stories uh, i thought it was a brilliant it's almost like if that was the last stan lee uh cameo it would be a poetic poetic one um and then also the fact that what he's saying and i think in the i think it's the final one is explaining the other characters that yes. he has been in mm. all of the other movies to them uh i, I just thought that was uh, so meta and wonderful so good. right it confirms the stanley is the same character in all the movies uh theory right yeah right yeah, yeah sort of and he's credited as the uh the watcher's informant in this movie nice this is kind of fun 
And uh, what do you guys think of the final? <laughs> I love the credit song. I love that they even went to the extent of like you know just doing this fun little like disco song with uh, with the Hoff singing too. Like uh, yeah. anything that oh. brings in the Hoff, I'm I'm down with. <laughs> so great, and then just like having the actors dance. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole movie is just so confident and dripping with style and fun. I mean, it's it's it is a movie that you will be glad you spent your dollars for and mm-hmm. come out with a smile on your face. It's, it's just a feel good, fun romp except right. for all the murdering that Dave brought up <laughs> <laughs> so much murdering. And also, uh, well, do you guys agree with me? I haven't heard you comment on it one way or the other. I mean, do you, do you agree that that's a concern or I'm usually pretty sensitive about that stuff, but it didn't strike me. So I don't know. All right. It's uh, yeah, it's weird. It's cartoonish in a way, right? The whole opening sequence where rocket raccoon is just like, killing off a forest full of people or like yeah. taking them down like it is it's fun it's you know badass but it's also like played for laughs sometimes when they're like just you know bouncing up in the air so i don't i don't know if it would be scary to kids like uh, just knowing me personally like i i would have loved this all of this at a very early age but the, arrow, the arrow like is it such a yep. is such a graphic way to kill mm-hmm. someone uh mm-hmm. it, it just felt pretty intense Mm-hmm. Uh, when you see, because you see it like pass through them too. It's not yeah. like a bullet wound where they they don't show it. You know, they don't show it exploding. It, it I don't know. It it's, just, it's, uh, I'm surprised. Yeah, they went to that extent yeah. uh, in gruesomeness in in this sort of movie. Uh, last thing I think um, I, I liked seeing the uh, the Jeff Goldblum character from Thor. He he was in the oh, yeah. credits dancing, dancing around. Yeah, all fun stuff. I wonder if there was a scene with him that they cut out. Uh-huh. Mm. Uh, I also said this on Twitter. I cannot wait till uh, we get the Hoff in Fast and Furious. You know it's going to happen. Has to happen. Yeah, has Make to it happen. happen. He has to pull up in the black kit car. You know, something, something like that. Like we actually have self-driving cars now. So you know, complete the loop, guys. <laughs> That's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode of the Slash Filmcast. Stay tuned to hear what we'll be reviewing next week. Uh, in the meantime, you find more episodes at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from adamwarrock.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from Kyle Hillinger. Jeff Kanata, where can we find more of your work on the internet this week? You can always follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata. Uh, I also have several other shows for you to check out. Uh, two different video game shows, a weekly show called DLC, which you can find at 5x5.tv slash DLC, and a daily quick hit show on Anchor called Newest, Latest, Best. You can find that at anchor.fm slash NLB. And then I also do the We Have Concerns show. It's a comedy science show. You can find it at wehaveconcerns.com. your Hardware? You can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra, and I write about techandgadget.com. I was also on Twit this week, so check that out at twit.tv. Find yeah. all my stuff at davechen.net. I relaunched the Tobolowski Files at tobolowskifiles.com. Uh, Stephen Tobolowski is posting some awesome behind-the-scenes story from Silicon Valley on his Facebook page. A lot of fun there. Uh, and I also have a new podcast where I'm speaking about American gods and other topics at genpopshow.com. Next week, uh, well, firstly, I want to mention we have a summer movie, mo- <sighs> summer movie wager episode coming up. I've tried to say summer movie wager really quickly, and I think I've succeeded like 60% of the time here. Uh, but yeah, that episode's coming out this week, and you can enter yourself at thesummermoviewager.com. Uh, next, we week should thank we should thank the guy who made the summer movie wager dot com uh, even Dennis. before. He's a, he, it's a, it is such a piece of 
uh, amazing effort and work that he put in. It, it is a really cool website. It has so much information about past years of the Summer Movie Wager, trivia, uh, all of the performance that everybody has has done, You know, all the point values. It's just comprehensive and complete and amazing, and kudos to him and thank you to him. Yeah, thank you so much, Dennis. Uh, and I've been working with him to help put the site together. Uh, I mean, th- let's be clear, 99% of the work is his. Uh, but Jeff, in my opinion, his his best work has not yet begun. And mm. that is the live tweeting of the results week to week yeah. of what's happening with the Summer Movie Wager. Uh, you'll as, recall, we see, as we see Dave's hubris bite him. Week after week. Well, you'll, you'll recall last year that pretty early on, uh, I would say sometime in early August, uh, your chances of winning the movie wager were downgraded to 0%. Yeah. Uh, which, Those were good times. Yeah, that was a blast. That was a blast. <laughs> but you can I fo- suspect the same will happen <laughs> this year, Dave. You can follow him on Twitter at SumMovieW, S-U-M MovieW. Uh, and he provides awesome commentary, and he made this great site, and we really appreciate all of his work. Uh, his name is Dennis, and uh, the, the site, thesummermoviewager.com, is really fun to use. So, uh, But next week, uh, we are going to have a very short episode, uh, and we were going to do The Circle, but it turns out that that movie is probably pretty terrible. Uh, Devinder, you've seen it. I, I haven't heard anyone who said The, the Circle is great. It is one of the worst things I've seen in TV in a in a theater for a very long time. Okay, it's in terms bad. of how bad it handles technology, which is worse, The Circle or Jason Bourne? <laughs> hmm. I think in Jason Bourne, somebody did some research. Like somebody asked around like yeah, yeah Jason they, Bourne they, they did certainly it asked around about like how the CIA stores its its uh Secret files in a folder yeah. called Black Operations. Sure, sure. <laughs> I, I think the circle is even dumber than that. Let's mm. just put it that way. All right. So we were going to do the circle, but we decided not to do the circle. Instead, uh, we're just going to do a bonus review of Colossal, maybe in After Dark if we have some time. Um, so that's going to be what's happening next week. But uh, this week, you got two episodes, both of which are pretty substantial sized. Summer Movie Wager coming right up for you guys very soon this week. Uh, So thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Slash Filmcast. We'll see you later. 